Personally, I think one of the most important facets of making great beer is the ability to control the temperature of your fermentation. Considering that yeast is probably one of the number one contributing factors to flavor, having it at the correct temperature through the fermentation process is something that you can do to stave off off flavors. So today we're talking all things temp control on Homebrewing DIY. Keeping a clean brewery is the key to making great beer that doesn't get contaminated. Do you use a glass or plastic carboy for your fermentation? Did you know that getting your carboy clean can be tough, especially removing the cruisin ring? Even with traditional carboy cleaning tools, it can take a lot of time and not get your carboy completely clean. Well, today there's a new tool that can easily clean your carboy and do it fast. And that tool is called a scrubber ducky. Scrubber duckies are a new magnetic carboy cleaner that are easy to use and get the cleaning results required in brewing. Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard to clean cruisin. They are no match for scrubber duckies and you can get yours today at scrubberduckies.com. Once again, head over to scrubberduckies.com. Building recipes and taking good notes are two of the key fundamentals of making great beer. This is one of the first things that you learn when becoming a new brewer. I started taking notes on a sheet from my extract kit and then quickly moved to brewing software. I've tried many different types of brewing software and then I found Brewfather. This is the one piece of software that you need for recipes and very detailed brew day notes as well as fermentation notes. Brewfather also integrates with some of the topics that we discuss on the show like the till hydrometer, the ice spindle, and ferment track. You need no other piece of software than Brewfather. One of the best parts of Brewfather is that you can try it for free. All you need to do is head to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and click on the Brewfather banner to sign up for free today. Once again, that's homebrewingdiy.beer, and sign up for Brewfather today. And welcome back to Homebrewing DIY the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing, gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this podcast covers it all. On today's show, we're going to talk about all things fermentation temperature. We're going to talk about fermentation chambers. We'll talk about temperature controllers and how you get through that fermentation and control the temperature. And then we're going to go out to the community and find out how they control their temperature and see if we can learn any new tips and tricks. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's your ongoing support that keeps this show coming to you week after week. Head over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY and give it any level. We still have a couple scrubber duckies to give away. So if you head over and give at the $5 level, you can get a free gift from our sponsor, Scrubber Duckies. So I've, I've got one or two left, so it would probably now would be the time. 
We also still have a special going on for the first $21 patrons getting access to our ad-free RSS feed and a logo sticker. Head over right now to patreon.com forward slash homebrewingDIY. Another way to support the podcast is by writing us a review. We've got quite a few reviews lately and really excited to see and read them all. I can tell you that that really helps us show up on the Apple charts. So go over to your Apple store or to podchaser.com and review us today. It really helps us out a ton. The last way to support the show is to head to homebrewingdiy.beer, our website, and click on some of our sponsor banners. Click on Brewfather or Adventures in Homebrewing. Your support helps them know that we sent you and then they support us in turn. So no changes in your price, just supporting the show that way. I've also got some new brewing projects going on. I'm going to keg my New England IPA. I think that that's going to happen tomorrow, and I can't wait to taste it. I think it's going to turn out really well. Things look really good. This brew, surprisingly, has gone very smooth. I did have a bit of another brewing disaster. I feel like every time I talk about my home brewing lately, it's been a bit of a disaster. Well, I got a text message from Aaron Bandler across the street. He had made a mistake when he had made a 10-gallon batch. So he shot me a text, and it's kind of funny. He had taken some parts out of... I guess I'll start over here. He was fermenting in a keg and he was using the gas blow off as the, the, the gas out of the keg as the blow off. And he had it attached to, he had it attached to that running into a blow off into a growler uh, next to the keg. Well, when he had texted me, he had figured out that there were some parts missing in the push down on the ball lock and that it actually wasn't releasing pressure. And so I go over there, and I pull the keg out into his backyard. He lets me into his house. And I continue to then pull the pull tab on top of the keg and spray beer everywhere. I think he lost about a gallon or two of beer just into his backyard, trying to get rid of some of the pressure. And then I went and took a old picnic tab, cut it off, put a gas valve on it and then popped it back on and uh, went my merry way thought i'd fix the problem well what i didn't know is that in thinking i fixed the problem i actually created a siphon and as his beer fermented it then just overflowed into and luckily luckily he had it all sitting in a bin so that if it did overflow it didn't make a mess into his basement but i filled the entire bin up with his keg so he's out an entire keg of beer and it's kind of my fault. So sorry, Aaron. We both really screwed up fermenting in a keg this time. Ugh, not not a not a good week. Well, I, I'm gonna break here for a really quick ad from our newest sponsor, Podcorn, and then we'll jump right into today's show where we talk about fermentation chambers and all things fermentation temperature. I want to talk to you all about our newest sponsor, Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace for podcasters like me to be able to look and find new sponsorships. I have to say that it was probably one of the easiest experiences I've had since I started podcasting. All you do is head over to podcorn.com, sign up and get an account, and you'll log in. Once you log in, you're going to get an array of different sponsorships that you could have an opportunity to partner with on your show. It was a pretty simple process. All you did is get an account. Once you log in, you find a sponsorship you think aligns with your needs. 
and then you send them a quick pitch. If they accept your pitch, then the very next week, you got to put out a sponsorship. Heck, that's how we're doing this sponsorship right now for Podcorn. I found them, I signed up, and it was a pretty easy experience. So if you have a podcast and you're looking to get more sponsorships or to partner with different companies, all you got to do is head over to podcorn.com and sign up today. Once again, head over to podcorn.com and sign up today. Well, welcome back. We're going to have a bit of a different format change today. Normally on this podcast, I have a guest. And for the first time, and this is completely on purpose, I actually chose to not have a guest. I wanted to do a bit of a deep dive into a single subject. So at first, what we're going to do is have a deep dive by me about that particular subject, which this week is going to be fermentation chambers. And then after that, we're going to go out to the community and talk to them a bit about what they have done. And I think that will be today's show. So let's first talk about fermentation chambers and why fermentation temperature control is so important. I think the first reason why temperature control is so important is that let's just dive in a bit about yeast. Yeast, depending on the type of yeast that you use, has a certain temperature range. So for example, if you use a standard, I would say my number one go-to yeast is the Safel US05. And when you use a yeast like Safel US05, it actually has a pretty big temperature range. I believe that when you read the back of the package, it, it range anywhere from the upper 50s all the way to about 75 degrees is what the standard range for that yeast is. And the idea is that if you have it anywhere in that range, it's going to give you a fairly clean fermentation profile. That being said, different temperatures are still going to give you different flavors. So for example, when I use Safel US05, my, my main shot is trying to get in the middle there, right? I, I usually ferment anywhere between 65 and 67 degrees. And what I try to do is actually have the beer temperature be those temperatures, not my chamber temperature be those temperatures, right? So one of the things that I use as a trick for that is having a thermo well that drops right down into the center of my beer. I have a stainless steel tube. I put a temperature probe down that stainless steel tube, and then that tube actually sits all the way down in the middle of my beer, and that gives me a very accurate temperature. One thing that you'll find with temperature control is that if you are only looking at the chamber temperature, so you have a standard temperature controller, then one of the things that you'll find is that you're going to have only the temperature of the chamber itself and not the actual temperature of the beer. And once fermentation happens, that could be a very big difference. Let's say the room you're in is 65 degrees, but with the heat created from actual fermentation, that could be all the way up into the mid-70s sitting in that temperature. So I think it's really important that whenever you do have temperature control, whatever you're using to control it is either a thermo well down into your actual beer, or is at least taped to the side of your fermenter, as long as it's plastic or thin enough to actually transfer some heat there, so that you're actually getting as close to the beer temperature and not just your chamber temperature. So kind of a trick there. But back to yeast, that's where we were talking. So different yeasts have different 
temperature ranges. And when you get into more liquid yeasts or lager yeasts or or really just more specialty types of yeast, that range becomes a lot smaller. So for example, if you were to get a lager yeast, it might have a range of only 55 to 60 as the is the temperature range or 50 to 60 and anything over 60 is going to give it an off flavor. That's really the idea of why you want to have good temperature control is it's all dependent upon yeast and the flavor that you're trying to go for. The other thing that I think is really important with temperature control and why you want to have it is that when it comes to home brewing, the main approach to home brewing is looking to recreate the different styles of beer and trying to recreate different classic styles or styles or true to style beers in the home. And so when trying to do so, you want to recreate as much of the correct environment to get that style. Now, don't get me wrong. Homebrewing is an art. You can do whatever you want. If you like to have a ale temperature beer that is always fermented at 75 or just done at room temperature in your basement, there's no wrong way to make beer. If you make good beer that way, great. I'm going to come over, I'm going to drink it, and it'll probably taste great. But for me, when I'm trying to go for competitions or when I'm trying to make beer for the club, I want it to be as true to style as possible. And temperature control really plays a big part of that. So let's do a bit of a deep dive into my temperature control of the past and how I kind of got there. When I first started homebrewing, I was like everybody else. I brewed in my garage, moved it down to my basement, actually had a pretty cold basement, probably in the mid to upper 60s. And I would move whatever beer I was making down. I had an empty bathroom down there and I would move my beer down into the bathtub, which actually was great. It gave me a great place when I would have blow off and it wouldn't go everywhere. So that was definitely a great way to start out. But as I progressed, I wanted to actually create more temperature control. So my first temperature controller was I is, is my current fermentation chamber. I've talked about it a few times on the show, but I'll dive into it again for those that this might be the first time listening. My fermentation chamber is actually kind of hard to do. I, I And I got to be honest, I really wouldn't recommend doing a fermentation chamber like this, though I see many of them on forums. I see pictures of them everywhere. There's a couple guys in the club that have similar setups to me. But to be honest, this is not the way, if I were to redo it today, I would do it. But it is the chamber I have. So my my fermentation chamber I currently have is an old dorm fridge. And what I did is I ripped the door off of it. It doesn't have an actual door on the front of it. What I did is actually created an extension box to that fridge that is made out of OSB wood. And then I insulated the hell out of it with a bunch of styrofoam insulation that I bought at Home Depot. Uh, Sealed it up as well as I could with silicone and all kinds of sealants to try to just keep as much of the heat in or the coolness in and to have it just be thermally stable. And really that's my setup. It's, It's actually cooled by a dorm fridge and heated by a paint bucket with a light bulb in it. I just used a 100 watt light bulb in a paint can. And that's really my setup. I can actually fit two seven and a half gallon fermenters in there. So I can do a 10 gallon batch and have them both in the fermentation chamber and know that the temperature is very solid. My first temperature controller was actually 
this is back in 2014. It was called an STC 1000. They still make them. You can buy them for about $15 on Amazon. It's kind of like a DIY temperature controller. The, the more modern version is actually the Inkbird ITC 1000. And the Inkbird is the full pre-built out version where it's got a temperature controller. It's got an area with two plugs, one for heat, one for cool. And it has a single temp probe that you can put inside your chamber. And that's how you're going to be able to do it. They're, they're really cheap. You can get one for 30 bucks on Amazon. Highly recommend getting one. And I will have a link to it in the, in the show notes. So if, if you're looking for, I, I call it the first level of temperature control. I think that the ITC, 1000 is probably the best for the money controller you could get today when it comes to just kind of, I want an out of the box solution. Well, I had that for about six months, brewed a bunch of beer with it and it worked out great. It's a super solid controller. And then from there I decided, Hey, I wanted to get a little bit more advanced. So in 2014, I built my first brew pie setup. And it was a pretty cool project. This was the first project I ever used an Arduino on. I used an Arduino Uno on it. And I created my first ever brew pie setup. And this is using the classic old model. You had to flash the EEPROM. And it was uh, kind of a pain in the butt to set up. But I found some instructions that you could do without having to solder. You could actually use some wire nuts and have a brew pie up and running off of the Arduino. I did actually do soldering on it and did a really cool job of creating my own kind of circuit board out of wires. It was really cool setup. But what this temperature controller allowed me to personally do was to set up my first ever PID setup for temperature control in a fermentation setting. And what a PID does is it allows you to get within a tenth of a degree of temperature. And I'll recommend if you really want to go into a deep dive of a PID, you should listen to episode eight of this podcast. That's the podcast where we talk about ferment track and we get into a pretty deep dive on a PID. But the idea is that it's a control algorithm that allows you to be able to stay within a tenth of a degree period. You use the beer temperature and that temperature doesn't swing. Your fridge and your heat may swing multiple multitudes of degrees in either direction, but that beer temperature stays stable. And one of the cool parts that I found with my PID controller is it even factors in the heat created by fermentation itself. It, it's it's kind of an amazing setup, and I highly recommend that if, if you can roll up your sleeves a bit and create a either a brew pie or a brew pie less, or a brew pie remix, or a ferment track setup. They all kind of run off of the same controllers or have very similar setups. These are all great methods to be able to have really solid temperature control. And for not very much money, I think you could probably get into one of those start to finish for less than 50 bucks. So definitely something I would recommend. Now, let's talk a bit about what I would do if I were redoing my temperature control today. I've been brewing now for about a decade, and I know a lot more about brewing. It's just experience, and over time, you just kind of learn. If I were to redo it all, I'd still use my same temperature controller. I think that having a PID is very important to me. I think that it's just 
kind of the way I brew. I love the charts. I love all the stuff I get from it. it it's highly detailed, and I would just recommend it in general. But if I had to redo it today, I would just get a chest freezer. I think that a chest freezer is cheap and easy to find online. You could go to Craigslist and find an old chest freezer today. And you can also keep the same temperature controller like I've built with a chest freezer. The only one drawback is finding room for it, but it still allows, it would allow me to do 10 gallon batches and have a couple fermenters in there going at the same time. And that's just kind of what I would do today. I wouldn't actually go and create this huge like Franken box like I have for a fermenter today. And that, that would be the big change. Other than that, I would still do the same temperature control. I think the next part I want to talk about are some of the off flavors that you can get in your beer by lacking in temperature control. I think the number one off flavor you're going to get is that fusel alcohol flavor. It's kind of that hot flavor, alcoholic kind of, I guess that that's the best way to put it. When you, you get beers that have this like very alcoholy flavor, I think that that is a big factor when you have beers that are way too hot with temperature. If you have too high a temperature, it starts to get this like fusily alcoholy flavor. And that's one that I notice a lot with beers that are not temp controlled. You're usually going to see that off flavor with beers that are over 80 degrees with temperature. Unless they're using a Kvike yeast, for some reason, that one is able to stay clean even those high of temperature. I would say the other big one that I see is diacetyl, that kind of buttery or butterscotch flavor. I see that a lot when we go to homebrew club. And if you have beers that have had temperature issues, I see a lot of diacetyl is an off flavor from that. And I have to admit, from drinking my own homebrew for years and, and maybe a couple of friends' homebrews, I never really experienced diacetyl. But now that I've been tasting a lot more homebrew from larger groups of, of friends that homebrew, I run into a diacetyl beer every now and again. I, I can even think of one I had at the last homebrew meeting that actually tasted a lot like diacetyl. And it was weird. You could call it out. The smell was butterscotch. The taste was butterscotch. It had a kind of slick mouthfeel. Uh, definitely something you see with beers that have temperature control issues. Another off flavor, depending on the style, could be an ester kind of flavor or a fruity kind of flavor. I, I usually call it you get some banana out of it when you have too warm of temperature. When your temperature is too warm, specifically around the over 70 range, that's when you start to get that that flavor of banana. And there's a lot of beer styles that are like, do not taste banana. I actually have a joke where it, it's kind of a, a joke. When you read the BJCP style guidelines, there's always does not taste like banana. It's throughout the entire guidelines. It's kind of hilarious. I will say there are certain styles that like banana. For example, Hefeweizen, to have banana and clove in it is totally fine. Clove is if you get it in the 60s, you go over 70, it starts to throw off bananas. But if you can get that balance right in a good Hefeweizen, totally fine. But that's the point of temperature control. When you have different beer styles and you're shooting for a certain flavor profile, it's super important that you have the control to try to get and nail that profile. And that's the importance of temperature control for me. 
Well, I, I, I think I've been going on and on and on about uh, temperature control myself. And I think that now let's just hop out to some people on some social media and have some feedback about what they do and see what it sounds like. So, so let's just jump right into it and start reading some of the feedback that we got. I, I put a call out to Facebook, Instagram, and got some really great responses. And what I asked everyone was, hey, what are you doing to control your temperatures for your fermentations? And what do your setups look like? And so here's an example of one. I, I got this one from Sag Harden Anthony IV, and I'm going to read this out to you. I had an AC unit in my fermentation chamber all last year. Then I got a mini fridge around Christmas and rebuilt it with the mini fridge. I have since gotten a heater to keep it warm when it's cold, and I have a fan to recirculate air if I need it. Also, I built mine from scratch. And he actually has a photo here, and he has this, it's actually quite a beautiful wood box with a lid, almost like a chest freezer. It's, it's got a handle on the front, but it is built himself. And he's got a mini fridge inside of it. He's made it with plywood and it's insulated with styrofoam. Pretty cool stuff. But very similar to mine where he's using a mini fridge and then he's also using a some sort of heater, I believe probably something similar to like a light bulb and a paint can. But still a very, very cool fermentation chamber. The one thing that he did mention there that I didn't dive into when talking about fermentation control earlier is having that fan to recirculate air really, really helps, especially when you have those types of PID controllers. Having that air circulate really keeps things even throughout. So uh, that's definitely an add-on I would recommend to any fermentation chamber that you build. Here's a comment from Steve Trexler. Chest freezer with temp controller in the summer. In winter, I put a small quartz heater in the freezer and use a temp controller on it. I can keep whatever temperature I want. And I asked him, what kind of temperature controller are you using? And he sent me a link. He's got a Johnson controller, the A421ABG-02C. Just your classic old school Johnson controller. When, when I first started homebrewing, these were the, this was kind of the first way to really get temperature control without having to build it yourself. And they were pretty expensive back in the day. They were, they were running, they would run you about 70 or $80 and they were really great, solid analog temperature controllers. So yeah, you could do a really, really great job. Uh, I saw a lot of posts that are just a Cheds freezer with an ITC, 308 temperature controller from Inkbird. A lot of ITC 1000s and ITC 308s. So lots of those temperature controllers with chest freezers. Here's a post from Mark Williams. Inkbird dual controller, mini fridge, small heater, and coil inside. And he actually sent some pictures, and I will download these pictures and add them to the show notes. If you head over to homebrewingdiy.beer and look in the show notes there, there'll be these images. And this is a pretty cool setup, very similar to mine, but still using the ITC 1000 temperature controller. He's got a mini fridge attached to a wood box with a door, very nicely insulated, but his heater is actually a, a pad heater. It's a, and I would actually recommend that versus like I have a paint can with a light bulb in it. I would actually recommend the pad heaters. You're going to 
not worry about light bulbs burning out. You're not going to have to have issues. And he's even got a great photo of two of his 6.5 gallon fermentation buckets in there. It's all great stuff. And he did it for less than a hundred dollars. And, uh, he said he can keep his, he could keep his control within uh, one degree. So if, if you're not down to that 10th degree, like I am a one degree swing, isn't going to be a big deal. And he's using even a, he, he actually puts his temperature down into a thermal well. So really, really cool setup. And I'll definitely show some pictures there. And I think the last part that I want to talk about is Ian Herbert, who's actually one of the patrons to the show. We have a really cool Discord server that if you're a patron, we give you access to and you can chat with me all you want. And we chat with each other. It's, it's kind of turning it into a fun small group of people that really like the show and we talk about our homebrewing projects and what's going on but uh ian herbert is in the process right now of creating his fermentation controller for his fermentation chamber and we're having quite the conversation about it and he was asking me hey how do i wire my esp8266 up for a ferment track controller so kind of the funny thing about the Fermentrack tra- track controller is that it was originally built on the ESP8266, but because it used the same EEPROM as the Arduino Uno and is really using the same scripting language, you could actually still use an Uno. And that's actually what I've done. I my my Arduino Uno is actually what still runs it, but I run it on Fermentrack. So I didn't even need to reflash it. All I had to do was put the new web server on and it picked it up right away. It was actually super easy for me to install because I'd already built it. But we were having quite the conversation and it was kind of cool to walk through with Ian all of the steps that he's going to need to do to build it. So he's got a Raspberry Pi. And right now he's in the process of flashing that Raspberry Pi. Uh, he's got to flash it. You have to get access to it via SSH. You want to install the Furman Track software, which is great. Uh, John Beeler, who was on the show, one of his main goals of creating this software was to make it into a one-line install. And it really is. You just type in a single line of code. It, well, it's not a line of code, a single command into the uh, SSH of your Raspberry Pi, and it installs all of the software that you need. And then from there, once you have the hardware built, all you got to do is flash it straight from that software. So it's it's a very super easy thing to build. The cool part is, is that he's in that process. He's got to flash it. He's got to wire it up. And here's a couple of, of tricks that I will tell to Ian, and I'll tell to anyone who wants to build a ferment track today. First of all, when you get your Raspberry Pi, you have to turn on SSH. You just drop the file into it. You can do it headless and do a hardwired plugin when you get set up so that you can get on the Wi-Fi easy. And then you're going to do that one code or the one line of one line command and install your software. Uh, the other thing I'll tell you is go into the 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 Homebrew Talk forum for Ferment Track and really look for an updated PCB that they found, or you can just go to PCBs.io. That's PCBs.io. And you could just search for Ferment Track and you'll find a PCB there and just look for the most recent update and you'll want to buy it there. And what you're going to get is it's about $15 for four boards, but it's going to give you four boards that you could solder and actually create four full devices 
out of that if you had all the temperature probes and you had a four plugs with a couple of relays that's really all that it takes it's not a big deal and then once you actually put all of that together the cool thing about getting a pcb pre-made is that the wiring diagram is already done for you you don't have to really think about it you just put the ESP in and it's all wired up. And then you're going to add your external devices to that, which is your high power and the relay. And then you're good to go. And at that point, you're good to go and set up. And so that's my recommendation to Ian is like, Hey, go buy the PCBs. It's totally worth the money. And, uh, that's pretty much it. It's, it's other than that, it's a very, very simple, easy to set up device that's going to give you really, really, really good temperature control. Well, that's it for this week's show. And I'd love to hear some feedback from anyone if they liked this format. This was definitely new for me to not have an interview and to really just deep dive on a specific subject. If you found any of the information today helpful, let me know. If you didn't like it, let me know. I just am curious. You can also find the show on social media. Look for us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Look under the acronym at homebrewing DIY, all one word. Well, that's it for this week, and we'll see you next on Homebrewing DIY. <laughs>